0: What does it mean to truly repent? Here's Pastor John Randall. The word repent doesn't simply mean or imply that
1: I am sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that you found out. I feel bad about the fact that you're hurt because you became aware of the fact that I was doing something in secret. That's worldly sorrow. There is a difference, the Bible says. True repentance is seeing my sin for what it is. True repentance is understanding that my sin is an offense against a loving and holy and gracious God. It is a recognition that apart from the work of grace in salvation, I am eternally lost.
0: We wonder at times, why do bad things happen to so-called good people? And on the flip side of the coin, why do good things happen to bad people? That usually comes to mind when we feel like we're suffering unjustly, or know of someone who is. Today on A Daily Walk, we learn a valuable lesson. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. In Luke 13, there's a woman who has bad things happen to her. Yes, even the godly will suffer in this world. And maybe that's exactly what you need to hear today. Be encouraged as you study along with us. Here's Pastor John Randall with today's message.
1: Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse one. There were present at that season, some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. As the 12th chapter comes to a close, Jesus had been talking about the fact that people needed to be waiting and they needed to be watching and prepared For a kingdom that was coming. They also were to be discerning and understanding concerning the times in which they were living. In the midst of his presentation of these powerful truths, Jesus now for a third time is interrupted. And he was informed by some Judeans of a tragedy that had recently occurred in Jerusalem. And this calamity involved Pontius Pilate and a group of worshiping Galileans. We don't have any other historical, secular record of this particular incident that was brought to Jesus' attention, nor do any of the other gospel writers mention it. However, the incident that they described of the bloodshed of innocent people under Roman rule was a common occurrence. It happened all the time. Pontius Pilate was the fifth Roman procurator who was assigned to represent Rome's authority in the occupied land of Israel. And Pilate was not a man to be trifled with. He would not stand for any form of rebellion or insurrection. He was completely intolerant of the Jewish people. Historically, he was known for his frequent executions of the Jews. At one point, in his administration, Pilate marched on the top of Temple Mount with his troops bearing the Roman insignias of Caesar. And the Jews saw this as idolatry and desecration of holy ground. And so they caused an uprising. And in turn, Pilate slaughtered the Jews on the spot. He then made his way back to the area of Caesarea. And the Jews followed him there and they began to protest once again. And he threatened execution and they laid their heads down on the chopping blocks and said, go ahead. It was also recorded that Pilate was extremely corrupt. He was known for taking bribes that would alter his judgments. On one occasion, he had taken money from the Jewish treasury to build an aqueduct from Judah to the Temple Mount. And when the people found out that he had robbed their treasury, they began to riot and protest. And so Pilate ordered his soldiers to dress like Jewish citizens and intermingle with the crowd. And when the signal was given, they began to mercilessly put to death all who were protesting. This incident, however, that Luke records... Apparently, Pilate has sent his soldiers to find a group of Galileans. The Galileans were known to be a little more rebellious than most Jews during that day. But apparently, they had come to sacrifice in the temple area. And it was more than likely during the Passover celebration. When you would bring your sacrifice to the temple to be offered up, the first place you would enter was known as the court of the Gentiles. Anyone was allowed in that particular area. You would move from the court of the Gentiles into the court of the women, where the women were allowed to be. Followed by the, that, you would enter into what was called the court of Israel, and there was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women from the court of Israel. And there was a sign that read in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Any Gentile beyond this point, in essence, would take their life into their own hands. It was punishable by death. So Gentiles were not allowed to enter. It was strictly off limits. But it would seem that as these Galileans were in the court of Israel, they were offering their sacrifices probably near the brazen altar that Pilate and his soldiers disregarded the warnings that were on the wall and marched right into the sacred area and put these men to death while they were offering their sacrifices and their blood, human blood, was mingled with the blood of the sacrifices on the pavement there in the court of Israel. It was brutal. It was a tragic thing that had occurred. Yet, it was in this statement that these men prompted Jesus to answer them. Now, I want you to know here that they did not ask Jesus a question, but Jesus answers them even though they had not posed the question to him because Jesus knew what they were thinking when they were informing him about this calamity. There was something behind the statement that Jesus was aware of. Implicit within their statement was a theological position or an understanding that was incorrect. And that is why Jesus will respond in verses two and three in the way that he does. First of all, Jesus begins by correcting their theology. In verse two, he says, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? He said, I tell you, no. And unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. When Jesus says, do you suppose they were worse sinners? The implication is they did. They did assume that those who had died were worse sinners than other Galileans. That was in their DNA, theologically. That was the mentality they had. They were wondering, how could this happen? Why did it happen? I mean, they were in the temple area offering sacrifices as an act of worship to God. How could God allow that to take place? Unless, unless of course, they were wicked people. Unless they were evil people, that must be the reason why God allowed this to happen. They were worse sinners than others. The Jews felt in many ways that they were better than other nations. They were the covenant people. That relationship went all the way back to the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if some tragedy, they believed, happened to come into the life of a Jewish person, it must have been because they were individually evil. That's why it would occur. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. One of the oldest books of the Bible, you remember the book of Job. The Bible tells us that Job was a righteous man. Job was a godly man. He feared God. He offered sacrifices to God regularly. And God spoke concerning Job saying, there was, there's no other man on the planet like him. However, you remember that Job suffered great tragedies. All in one day, he lost everything that he owned, including his most precious possession, which would have been his children. They all died on the same day. And you remember Job, after he began to suffer, that he did not curse God, but he said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. However, Job's friends saw the suffering that Job was going through. And so they came alongside of Job, and one man by the name of Eliphaz, he verbalized and articulated the Jewish mindset theologically when he posed this question: Whoever perished for being innocent? Job, listen, if you are innocent. This wouldn't happen to you. Whoever perished in the history of the planet for for doing what was right. Job, there must be some secret sin. And Job responded that this man and the other two were miserable comforters. In the New Testament, we also discover this incorrect theology in the life of the disciples of Jesus initially. In John's gospel, the ninth chapter, you remember that the disciples of Jesus observed a man who was born blind. And they said to Jesus, Jesus... Did his parents sin or did he sin that he was born blind? Did he sin in the womb or something? Or did his parents sin that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus, again, corrected their theology by saying, this man was born blind that the glory of God might be revealed. You see, the Jews felt that good things happen to good people. And bad things, well, they happen to bad people. But we can see in this fallen world that we live in, that that isn't necessarily Case. There are many wicked people within this world that are doing quite well. At the same time, there are many godly people in the world who are suffering tragically, horribly, and, and the reverse is also true. What we need to be careful of is that we don't develop this kind of thinking in our own minds. When we see someone hurting, when we see a person struggling, when we see their kids living prodigally, or they lose their job, or they get some disease, they love God, and then we think, "Oh man, whoo, must be some sin in their life, because that doesn't happen to me, and they must be, that must be the reason. We start to think this, perhaps, in our minds. Granted, there are certain things that a person may pursue that will inevitably lead to pain, sorrow, and heartache, And we can warn them not to go that way. The Bible says, if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. You will be judged. If you go in that direction, we can warn you, things are going to happen if you pursue that. But what Jesus seems to be dealing with here is the false assumptions that these Judeans had. And so Jesus corrects them. And although they were thinking these Galileans were worse sinners than anyone else, he says, that's not the case. Emphatically, no. No. Absolutely not. No way. Unless you repent, he says, you will also likewise perish. In other words, if this is what you're thinking, your thinking is incorrect. To challenge this mindset even further, Jesus moves from a man-imposed, evil, wicked tragedy to what might be considered a natural disaster without any human agency at all. Look at what Jesus brings up in verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. These Judeans had been considering the Galileans whom they looked down upon. Jesus now brings up another hot topic in recent news about a tower near Jerusalem that actually fell on Judeans. No human agency involved. Maybe there was an earthquake or or something happened, but this tower fell and 18 people lost their lives. And Jesus says, do you think they, those Judeans, your countrymen, your heritage, do you think they were worse sinners than all other Judeans? Again, Jesus says emphatically, no. Those Judeans, as well as all Judeans concerning Galileans and all Galileans, they're all sinners. One's not worse than the other. Jesus answers again by saying a second time, no, and unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Not necessarily in a tower accident, But the word perish means something different than die physically. The word perish speaks of being eternally separated from God. Jesus was saying, in essence, there are two options that you can come away from this tragedy, from this thing that has happened. One, you can repent or you can eventually perish. We see evil men today, don't we? Brutalizing innocent people. We also hear of Christian people dying for their faith and wicked men seeming to get away with it in this present life. We also observe natural disasters around the world in the form of tsunamis and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and fires. And and, all, and when all of these things happen, what, what do we think? We think, what is happening here? Why is this happening? How could this happen? This is a question that often comes into our minds. How could God allow this? Why would God let this happen? I remember not that long ago, and you're probably are aware of it too, when tragedy struck American soil there in New York. I tell you that all of the churches filled up immediately, like never before. You would think that there was a revival that happened. What are all these people doing here on a night when there's no church? Why are they here? And the next night, because they're all wondering what's going on how could this happen? Is this the end of the world? How could this take place? And these tragedies, you know what they do? They point out our own mortality. They make us realize that life is actually a vapor, that it's just a brief moment that we live here. And Jesus, in the midst of these tragedies, here's what he does. He doesn't even really answer why these things occurred or how they occurred. What he does is he tells these people In the process. It wasn't one Galilean over another. It wasn't one Judean over another. The truth is we're all sinners. And unless we repent and respond to the gospel, we will perish. Jesus is challenging this enormous multitude that surrounds him, not to look at this group of people or those people, but at their own lives individually. Where are you at? That's really the question. Where are you at with God at the present time? Have you repented? It wasn't so much the issue of how we're going to die, either by Pilate or by a falling tower like Siloam. We're all going to eventually die in some way. But if you know Christ, you will not ultimately perish regardless of the way in which you go. That's why Jesus came, friend. That's what the Bible says in John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, you'll die a physical death, but you won't perish. You won't be eternally separated from God because of what Jesus has done. And when a tragedy like those that are described here in the scriptures happen, many people are prone to try to find the cause. To discover the one to blame. And if they can't find someone to blame, then they may point the finger at God. And all of these things, like pain and sorrow, it was C.S. Lewis that said this. He said, quote, that pain and suffering are God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And what the megaphone is saying is that unless we repent, unless we turn to God, regardless of how we go, we're going to perish, unless we respond to the gospel. This is the emphasis that Jesus is presenting at this moment. We're all dying. Don't be discouraged. We are. We're all dying. An unsaved person, hey, they may simply die of an old age. Perhaps they never experience cancer. They don't have any acute pain within their passing. They don't have to go through hospice. They just close their eyes and at a ripe old age on their hospital bed. On the other hand, you have a saved person that may die in a tragic accident, may die at a young age or be inflicted with some illness that is incurable and it takes their life away. But there's a difference, isn't there? The difference is this, one will perish and one won't because one has repented and turned to Christ for salvation and the other has not. I believe that this is what Jesus is saying. He is correcting their incorrect theology on the subject of making it a personal application. Have you, he's saying to them, have you repented? Let's for a moment not look at the Galileans. Let's for a second step outside of what happened to the Judeans and let's talk about you right now. You're accountable for what you know. You're accountable for what you've heard. What have you done with the gospel? John the Baptist came onto the scene and he was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus then followed that up following John's martyrdom. He preached the exact same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that word repent is an invitation from God to turn to him and live so that you don't have to perish. This is the grace of God that has been extended unto us so that we can be saved The word repent doesn't simply mean or imply that I am sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that you found out. I feel bad about the fact that you're hurt because you became aware of the fact that I was doing something in secret. I'm sorry. That's not genuine repentance. That's worldly sorrow. There is a difference, the Bible says, True repentance is seeing my sin for what it is. True repentance is understanding that my sin is an offense against a loving and holy and gracious God. It is a recognition that apart from the work of grace in salvation, I'm eternally lost. I'm eternally lost without Jesus. There is no way that I can make it on my own merit. I have nothing apart from Jesus, and it's when I recognize my own sin for what it is, it should bring me to a place of brokenness and genuine humility and repentance, which produces a change of mind, which in turn produces a changed life. That is genuine repentance when it occurs, but many times we're not seeing that preached. We're not seeing that proclaimed. One pastor put it this way, he said, quote, biblical repentance is very different from the modern presentation that we are given of repentance today. To say that Jesus can only save us from our sorrows without saving us from our sins is a lie. We must be saved from sin. True repentance is when I finally see my sin not somebody else's. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm not justifying it. And I'm not somehow adding to God's grace by thinking in my own estimation, you know, down deep, I really am a good person. You just need to get to know me. Listen, God knows everything about me and I'm not a good person apart from Jesus Christ and his spirit at work within my life. Deep down, I'm not that. The only thing that I'm deserving of is judgment and he offers me mercy and grace and gives me a chance to repent. And it's when I come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit concerning my own sin that my pride is broken and I surrender my will and I'm humbled by his mercy and I realize that I am undeserving and in absolute penitence, I repent of my sin. And the Bible then says, I'm forgiven. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. It's when I mourn over my own sin that then I am comforted by the Spirit of God as I repent. Oh, the blessing that follows genuine repentance and the freedom that accompanies it. It's like having a weight. If you could imagine the heaviest weight you could could ever put in your arms, and and not being able to carry it, but you're strapped to it, and you can't breathe, and then suddenly, through repentance, it's like somebody took that weight and removed it, and now you can breathe again. There's like new life. There's this freedom that you experience. That's what follows genuine repentance, a freedom. Have you experienced that? I can remember it so clearly when that happened in my life. I can remember it like it was yesterday, and I will never forget what it was to be truly forgiven. I can remember my sin, the weight of it, the conviction of it, and finally coming face to face with the fact that self-righteousness also isn't acceptable in the sight of God. I go to church. I have a Bible. I've been to a Christian school. i memorize verses. I can quote them to you. I can play worship songs. I can do all of these things in self-righteousness, which the Bible says is as filthy rags, I could look at somebody else and say, that guy is a heathen dog, but I'm not that way. Maybe I wouldn't say it that way. But nonetheless, I'm thinking that in my mind. That guy, is, that guy smokes crack. That guy does this. I don't do any of that. I choose my sins wisely. You know, and I, and I think about this, and I justify it in my mind, but I'll never forget the day when the weight of the conviction of the Spirit of God came upon me, and it's like I hit a wall. And in that moment, I realized I am a wretched sinner. Jesus, forgive me.
0: Well, thanks for joining us today on A Daily Walk. To catch a replay of today's message from Pastor John Randall, simply go online to adailywalk.org or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and through the Calvary South OC app. If you'd rather have a CD copy of the study from our Through the Bible series, we can send that to you for a cost of $5. Here's where to reach us toll free 877-242-0828. You can use that to order resources or if you have any questions, that's 877-242-0828. We light up around here when a listener shares what God is doing in their life and how they're helped through the teaching of God's Word. If you feel led to write, here's our email address, a dailywalk at gmail.com. That's a dailywalk at gmail.com. It sure would be nice to connect with you. As we've just begun a new year, we have an excellent new resource to tell you about geared for you ladies. It's A Daily Walk for Women by Michelle Randall. This 366-day devotional will remind you that as Christians, we don't walk alone. Jesus has promised to never leave or forsake us and He gives us the courage to be strong during uncertain times. We don't need to dread the future because the Lord goes with us. We pray this devotional will bring you hope as you seek Jesus and share in the wisdom of God from the heart of a pastor's wife. We're offering it for the special price of $15. Just call us and request A Daily Walk for Women at 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Again, that's 877-242-0828. And please remember, it's your faithful contribution to the Lord's work at A Daily Walk that allows us to bring Pastor John's studies to the radio every day. We can't do it alone and totally rely on the Lord to make all this happen. Secure donations can be made at adailywalk.org. We'll pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke next time on A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. Blessings to you. This program is brought to you by Calvary South OC and made possible through your generosity.